0: Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. Don Povia joined by Kyle Bunch, rocking our Texas pride. Well, Kyle more than me, but uh, he's got his Austin hat on again. And me, I got I put this on for you, Kyle. I usually do it for the guests, but I went with my Lone Star beer shirt with the uh, the uh, true detective flair
1: to it. I I, I was—is that a homemade? No, no, it was a Secret Santa gift I got uh, back in the carrot days. There's some genius gifting right there. Yeah, no, uh, you'll be, you'll be down here soon enough though, right? We're, yep. we're month and a half or so you'll make your, your Texas visit. So, uh, yeah, things down here are good. We, we, uh, on the soccer front, got our, got our first home win, got the good people of Portland were good enough to give us a, a, a nice four goals, uh, for, for some, uh, you know, a, a, a nice housewarming gift, so uh, made, made for some fun. I'm headed out there tonight to watch us uh, hopefully continue the string against LAFC and uh, and get get some sweat out, some good you know Bickram soccer fandom down here. Well, speaking of getting some sweat out, I'm dying here in
0: Jersey. I uh, can't wait for that uh, August in Texas with you. So,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll you'll come down here and cool it down. As much as we talk about the heat in Texas, New York, New Jersey summer heat like Texas has nothing on it <laughs> well you know my,
0: my my go-to move is Barton Springs down there just freeze my ass off for a couple minutes and then you're good
1: exactly I'm, I'm I'm a short walk from there we'll hit it up
0: all right well let's go far away from Texas let's let's head to the Bay Area slash the nation's capital Washington DC where Dave joined this week by Dave Fusillo Fooch what's up man
2: Not much it's been uh, been a long time since we've seen each other face to face I
0: know is it Fucillo or Fusillo?
2: I—it's always been Fucillo, but like I have a friend of mine who's Italian who pronounces it Fusillo. He's like, "There's no two C's. It's Fusillo." <laughs>
0: Right. So I was going to say, but to make sure uh, we get it. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, we, you know we've we've traveled the globe together. Certainly been down there in DC, and I uh, came up to uh, Toronto for with us. We were joking with uh, with Maggie Hendricks that that was the baldest panel ever assembled with uh, yourself, Zirkel, Georgia Tala tiki barber we had we had some chrome domes on there but uh you're looking good whatever you you don't have on top you're certainly making up uh with the chin hair here man it just keeps getting getting more unruly but it looks good
2: yeah i didn't i didn't start growing this till after uh, after tron for sure it's interesting i, I met my wife after that and she's only seen me with the beard she's never seen me outside of pictures without the beard
0: Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Um, so speaking of Toronto, back back in those days, uh, you know, you're doing NFL stuff with SB Nation. Uh, certainly kept uh, up with the the uh, the Niners Nation. Um, you know, how has that been balancing uh, sort of the the true blogger side on Niners Nation? Uh, you know, with working, I, I joked around the corporate office there in in DC. You do work right out of. Uh, SB Nation headquarters as the NFL editor at the time. Um, Was that difficult to kind of wear both hats?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because I came up to Toronto the same year I got hired full time by Vox at the time was still SB Nation. Um, Yeah. And moving from, you know, I had been covering the 49ers at that point. I started my blog in 2006. So it had been six years at that point that I'd been doing the blogger life and then moving into this new role at the time was kind of, you know, working with the other bloggers, helping them build out content. Um, obviously, you know, in 2012, it was still, we were, we were just coming out of the wild west days. Although sometimes nowadays it still feels like we're, <laughs> we're in the middle of the chaos, but um, yeah, it was interesting. It was, it, you know, I slowly transitioned away from the 49ers to, to the point where I, I gave up Niners Nation in 20, 2018. And honestly, after a while, it just, gets it gets tiring i think like i enjoy the blogger life as a whole but like the you know it's definitely more of a beat covering the 49ers and the beat writer life is is not for me well i mean
0: for did you have any connection i mean i know sb nation was was born and bred in the bay area had you had that connection previously is that how you got into it or no
2: yeah, I, so I was actually working for the Oakland A's at the time as an accountant. And uh, it's it's interesting. That's I started my 49ers blog the same time I applied to law school. And so very clearly I was just really bored. Um, <laughs> no, I I'd been a 49ers fan my whole life and um, I met a guy I met a guy through grad school who was the Raiders blogger for SB Nation. and yeah. I had a writing experience. I'm like, hey, you know, I want to write about the 49ers. Can you connect me with somebody? He's like, sure, because Nation didn't have a 49ers blog at the time. And so I uh, I reached out. They're like, yeah, can you write one or two things a day? I'm like, sure, why not? Like, I had started a little blog spot site to show that I could do some stuff. And it just all kind of, you know, started rolling from there.
0: Well, I mean, speaking of the, the beat writer life, I mean, covering the Niners, uh, certainly the last couple of years has been exciting. I know, um, you know, Kaepernick uh, News, you've been a guy that isn't afraid to sort of be opinionated, uh, you know, even still. Um, you know, what's that been like watching it, you know, really up close as a guy that's covered the team. That's certainly the before, during and after with a player like that. Um, you know, ex- as an experience and a guy that's certainly very tuned in with what's going on socially in the, in the world. Um, was that, uh, a positive experience for you?
2: I think, you know, on the whole, it was that was like prior to the Kaepernick stuff. I mean, I felt like I had social awareness, but not to that level, because he really brought out a lot of things like once he started having his press conferences, and they were talking more about what was going on. And obviously, that led right into the 2016 election. And so there was, you know, I felt like I became a little more aware because of that, it definitely tuned me into like, hey, you should read this, hey, maybe read that, you know, check out some new things. And so yeah, it was interesting when the, when he first took a knee. Um, Steve White from NFL Network got the the, the first interview with him, but um, a woman who wrote for my site, uh, Jennifer Chan, she writes for NBC Sports Bay Area now. She got the first picture of it, and so that became the picture that everybody used, everybody credited. And so I remember uh, waking up. I was in Las Vegas at the time um, for an event uh, with uh, Odd Shark, a uh, sports betting company, and I remember like randomly waking up in the middle of the night to a text from her saying, "Hey." check this out. And so like, I look at it and it's like, Oh, and it just, I mean, it blew up from there. I, I definitely, you know, there was, there were some folks that were out for that event that are, are notable names that, that have strong opinions one way or another. And I remember being there like when opinions were first being formed and they didn't have uh, kind of like a real focused idea on what was going on. And it was just, I remember just doing Like I spent all day doing interviews because it was just like, everybody wanted a 49ers blogger to talk about this stuff. And I think, Traditional media, and I know you can, you know, you can attest to this. Traditional media was not ready to go out on that limb yet. They were, you know, they definitely, and I think that's where we've seen a huge difference between bloggers and traditional media, where they're not as comfortable. They've got, you know, corporate overlords to look up to, you know, to to speak to. Whereas I could kind of just do what I wanted. Obviously, I, I, you know, I'm still repping Box Media Espionation, but like the company then and through now has been very supportive of, of us having, you know, strong opinions about these things, even if it's not, you know, directly sports related. Well,
0: it's interesting for you wearing again, both hats and sort of helping guide editorial content from, you know, an NFL perspective and then having to get like really in the weeds and do it with the team focus, right? Had that happened on another, say on another team, uh, would you have reacted or acted any differently in an editorial capacity?
2: I think it would, you know, if I wasn't following the 49ers, I, I don't know that I would have leaned into it very much. Um, I think because it was so in my face as as a 49ers blogger, it definitely inspired me to to read a little more, to to learn more about it, to learn what was going on. But um, I don't know, you know, it's, it's hard to say if I was not following them. And I was a Kaepernick fan. Like, you know, as a blogger, I was a fan of the team. I was not, you know, I did not, make any pretenses about being objective. Um, And I think, I think my writer, like my readers appreciated that, that I was honest about, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't say, oh, we're going to try and be objective and then throw out opinions. Like they knew what to expect from me. And so I think it would have been different had I not been a 49ers fan, had I not been a Colin Kaepernick fan. I think that there would have, you know, I would have covered it a little bit because it was just, it affected everybody, especially you know, as they were playing teams, whether they're going to Buffalo and there are those t-shirts of him with a bullseye on them, or you know, they were going to Florida and there was the Castro stuff. Like it impacted every single team to some degree.
0: Yeah. How do, how do you feel about um well it's funny you mentioned 2016, right? A totally different world, right? If pre pre-2016 election. Post, certainly. But I mean, those years in between between the guy in the, in the White House and, you know, sort of the the racial incidents and tensions that that we've seen uh, really kind of coming out of that. Right. So uh, if that was kind of the spark, um, you know, are we in a better spot or are we in than we were, let's say, in, in 2016 in terms of these issues that Kaepernick was trying to raise?
2: I think. I guess it, defines, it depends on how you define better. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think we're in like- it's not, it's, That's a tough question. I really put you on the well, spot. Well, no, it's fair, it's fair though. I think like we're not in a good position, but we're in a improved position from where we are because we're having these conversations. I think yeah. you have to get uncomfortable. You have to have these conversations that people don't want, didn't want to have for a long time. And it's being forced to happen. And I think you can't improve until you talk about it. Um, even if there's, you know, even though there can be friction and it can get messy and noisy and people are going to make mistakes. I think especially we as white people are going to make mistakes in how we approach this issue. And I think this has opened up a space to allow us to be, you know, to, to grow in comfort and be willing to, to better understand and to hear what, what what black folks are saying or Asian folks in the case of what we've seen lately, you know, with, with AAPI issues, you know, I think that's the key is having these conversations in some form or fashion, no matter how messy it gets.
0: Yeah. I think my issue and I have brought this up with athletes that I work with is sort of the polarization um, with him and associating with him, right? Their message I, I warn might get lost, right? Because people are going to have a pretty Binary opinion about him, it seems. Um, You know, so if you do something in support, right, it gets tied to him. If you do something in oppose, it gets tied to him as opposed to the person in the message that's trying to, you know, articulate something. you know, I don't want it to be so cut and dry. I would warn them, right? I say, all right, if that's what you want to do, but you don't want to be the the guy who did X, Y, and Z, Kaepernick, right? You want to be your own person with your own message and your own issues, and you don't want to automatically turn off that other side, right? I mean, we're talking like civilized people, but there's a lot of people that you know still can't have these conversations.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that you know it is easy to get lost in it. I think. No matter how hard people try, there's always going to be folks that are like, "Okay, well, you mean this, or you mean that," and read into them their own motives. But you know, we just focusing on football since that's kind of my area of expertise. You've seen a lot of different players trying a lot of different things. Uh, Michael Thomas, the uh, he, I think he plays for the Texans now. He used to play for the Giants, the the Dolphins. Uh, he was briefly with the 49ers. He's done a lot, he did a lot of things um, with the uh, the owner of the Dolphins. I forget uh, I forget his name, but he, you know, the owner of the Dolphins has has been uh, Ross. Steven Ross. Ross, Yeah. Um, there, you know, I think when it comes to billionaires, that's a whole another conversation, (laughs) but I feel like they, you know, they've been trying to do different things and trying to thread that needle. And so, you know, I, I, I don't think athletes should worry so much about how people are going to read into it. If they're, if they feel confident in their opinion and and why, and, and in their willingness to discuss it, you're, you're always going to have people that are going to take issue with it so i i think it's you know you have to be willing to accept that and willing to just go out on a limb and you know it may cost you it caught co- it, it obviously costs Kaepernick. um i think people have you know have seen that and and how things have developed and how the NFL alone has changed but I think as long as you're willing to to go out on a limb it's it's worthwhile you know
1: one thing that strikes me about it a bit was and I know, you know, on the one time it feels, on the one hand, it feels like a lifetime ago. On the other hand, it was just four years ago, and obviously, social media was already a, a, a mature beast out there in the world. The idea of athletes kind of having their own direct line to the, you know, to an audience was there, but. Stop me if I'm wrong. Kaepernick was not necessarily one of those guys. He wasn't somebody who was an adept at using social media. He wasn't somebody who had necessarily built – that certain other athletes have. And I I guess I just say it in the context of – even though it was only four years ago, it felt like he was oftentimes – you said it's the, the, it was less about the public response and more about the top down media response and how that handled things, honestly. Like, you know, and, and so I just, I wonder how much, even just four years later, things look, could look different with someone, even just Kaepernick and, and a more developed audience now, or any number of other athletes that Don may work with or others who have that built in audience and are really good at activating that. It feels like something that I just don't remember that being as much part of it as it, as it feels like it would be today.
2: No, you're right. And honestly, if you go back, so he started kneeling in August of 2016. If you go back to his social media feeds in January, February, um, he was, you could already see a change in how he was talking about these issues. I think like on the anniversary of Malcolm X's death, he had, you know, he was posting about it. He was posting a lot of different things. And he later spoke about how he had started um, taking some classes at Berkeley and was learning more. And these are things like he would, if, if you, if people had bothered to pay attention or to look back, they would have seen that this, they could have seen this coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think nowadays people are much more attuned to social media and focusing on every, on an athlete's every word and interpreting it, you know, based on, it's like, oh, he said that, does he mean this? Does he mean that? Uh, does she mean this? Does she mean that? You know, it's all, it's, it's something that you can't get away from that. You really can't hide what your, your opinions are. If you, if you start to talk about it on social media, because everybody is, is paying such laser focused attention, knowing that athletes are more willing to speak up.
1: Yeah, and and I not to try to tie together like eight narratives all in one here but i you know i I can't help but like to look at these things and think about what that next wave of change might be right you know because because so much of at the time what was so controversial with Kaepernick now feels normalized a bit you know like you said we've made those advances so what are what's the next breakthroughs and I think about a kid that comes up and by 18 19 years old you know and dawn always talks about it. I mean this is in the rarefied 1% of 1% air, but there'll be people who will come in with the kind of momentum of a million people strong already before they've even had the chance to, you know, kneel at their first anthem and, and the platforms. And so it's, to look at what Kaepernick did at, at the time in a top-down media world that feels incre- increasingly disrupted, it just, it feels like, know, yeah, it feels like oh, there's, there's a template there that we're gonna see in a much more disruptive way.
2: I think you can honestly look at Naomi Osaka. Uh, you've seen how she has taken control of the narrative. Um, obviously, like, you know, there's still people, you know, you see people speaking out about it. I think, I don't know if it was Martina Evershilova or Chris Evert or somebody had said something that it was just like, yeah, and and there was backlash on that as opposed to people having backlash against Osaka for choosing to value her mental health over over these issues. And Again, it it is very, you know, it's definitely not a black and white issue. It's not binary, as you're saying, when it comes to media obligations. And, you know, even Osaka, maybe she should should have brought this up earlier. But again, you know, every single new instance, in this case, the issue of mental health, which has taken on such a a new prominence, um, it's not, it's going to be messy. It's going to take some learning and some understanding. And I think, you know, people will slowly start to understand it. And, you know, it's going to, you know, we're going to move on to another issue, move on to another issue. But it's nice to see that we're, you know, that. Athletes are starting to take control of that narrative.
1: Yeah, It's interesting in both fronts too. I think there's also this, this sort of inertia like thing you have to break through of just that people commenting on you disrupting their sports for it. Right. And like, whether it's kneeling, whether it's, you know, the, the Osaka issue, there was, as much conversation about whether or not it's right to drop out of a sporting event as there was about the mental health side, right? Like we, we, we have to kind of break through the breaking with sports norms that have felt just so unbreakable for so long that now it's not, I mean, what was it two weeks before that it had been, Oh yeah, she earned more than any athlete last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not a crazy thing to think I I can afford to take a tournament off. I just had a pretty good run. And, but yet, unthinkable five years ago 10 years ago and so I, I think that's that's part of what's so interesting in these is just getting to the place where we're actually talking about why she's dropping out versus just the act of dropping out or the act of kneeling when we're so used to the uniformity i think that's and that's a, seems like a very generational thing that we're that, that's a lot of the change we're going through right now and it's interesting to see when when it triggers whoever to kind of have their get off my damn lawn moment around whatever change someone's bringing into their their sports uh ceremony anyways i'll I, stop rambling
2: i i feel like it's a new normal which is nice. You know, like we're seeing changes like athletes used to be put on a pedestal for good or for bad you're you know it's like shut up and play shut up and dribble you know whatever the idea that oh you're a millionaire athlete you should be fine um your mental you know you go go cry in your millions but now i think people are realizing okay you know they're normal people they i mean they're they're exceptionally talented but they're still just human beings who are flawed like the rest of us and I don't want to use it for flaw because that's not fair when it comes to mental health. Uh, It's more just there are people that deal with the same issues that we all do.
1: Yeah, or the 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 one that blew my mind was some of the nil. I mean, blew my mind and at the same time it surprised me in no way. But the framing of nil around greed, right? That it was like, oh, you know,
2: cover. Oh, Oh, yeah, Dave, I think you
0: you tweeted that, right?
2: Yeah, I tweeted out the SI cover and like. It's funny. I, I, I talked with a friend from SI about it, who you know, who took a little exception to it, and I, I understood why because, like, the actual article was really good, and the article focused on the issues. But like, that historical stereotype against Miami Hurricane football players is there. There, there are racial undertones. There are just all those stereotypes that they came to came came up, and they could have chosen a million other covers. And like I said, the article itself was very good, but they I think they ruined some of the credibility when they chose that particular cover.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I always react to those things and and the, you know, getting in arguments with people trying to, you know, fight for the billionaire and his billions over the player, the, the greedy player and, and, you know, some of those narratives. And, you know, just again, like a lot of the uh, underlying often racial sort of undertones that tie into those things, why we don't get so mad about uh, – white quarterbacks getting their millions, uh, you know, all of those things, but. Uh. Well,
0: NIL is, is driving me absolutely crazy because it's really gonna be like the rich getting richer, right? So like, the, the speaking of Miami, that local company that comes out, putting a half million dollars is gonna pay the entire team, right, to do that. <laughs> Who's getting something out of that, right? He he got the boosts out of that, right? And then I joked around in our Slack channel. I said, "All right, Nike, your move! Like, like, come on, Oregon's like, let's go! What are you gonna do for us?" And then, sure enough, right, uh, Phil Knight and and one of the Oregon players drops an NFT. And I'm like, huh, "That's that's what the it, it, the NCAA was kind of like concerned about, but like the, because of the Supreme Court ruling, now they can't do anything." So, and then I my 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 follow up joke was like, "All right, Kevin Plank, let's make the Terps a, you know a national uh, a national powerhouse." house here so again who's going to benefit from that the underarmors the nikes these local businessmen that are already boosters and pumping money into it is just boosting themselves now before we move on from kaepernick though i want to hit one one question because i feel like it's the mandela effect like rattling around in my head and i figure fuji you're the one that can like clear this up for us prior to all the kneeling side wasn't he propped up by like the Christian right for his like Christianity, Bible verse tattoos, stuff like? I feel like there was a time, maybe ten years ago, where he was like a Christian poster boy for the religious right. Am I nuts, or do, do I um, misremember this?
2: I don't know if it was like full on, you know, the the very organized religious right, or if people because I remember, you know, in twenty thirteen at the Super Bowl. Remember there was the there was the issue of his tattoos. Well, prior to that, there was the issue of his tattoos. There was the article about yeah. the kissing the biceps and the tattoos and all that. When in reality, his tattoos were. I think that's where the Bible verse came up because they're like, "Hey, he's got tattoos, but like they're Bible verses. Like, what's the deal? You know, um, I, he was adopted by a white family that I believe was relatively religious, but you know, I, I think I don't know. I don't recall like really being propped up by the religious right – I don't pay a lot of attention to that, so it's possible I completely
0: missed the boat. I just figured paying attention to him, you might
1: know. So, okay, it could very well be the Mandela effect rattling around in my head. Um, I'm finding some stuff, Don. I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole for you right here. I think uh, the the Gospel Light Minute has some links. I'll I'll send you I'll send you some (laughs) reading materials. Beautiful. There's there's definitely glorifying God on the gridiron is 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 a headline attached to Colin Kaepernick. So so
0: he was he was. A version of Tim Tebow, in some sense, uh, to certain yeah. people at some time that just want to prop people up and make assumptions and use them for their own particular agendas, which kind of goes back to the conversation.
2: Exactly. Just read into it what you want.
0: Right. Um, but then moving on to like sort of the disruption in, in athletes and athletes and what they're doing, um, you know, let's kind of turn that around a little bit. We talked about uh, the propping up by the by the media top down approach with this particular issue but let's let's kind of talk about the media right where it's like, hey, don't disrupt my sports, you know, in one sense. The other sense is like, just give me the news. Um, as a guy that's, you know, been able to walk that line as, like you said, not, not having those corporate overlords and, and giving the freedom that Vox gave you. Um, but how have you also seen like the, the parallel transformation into like sort of journalist activists, you know, like our friend Jamel and, you know, any number of other people that have kind of taken that straight news, put an opinion on it, and really kind of carved out their own path?
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting seeing that, you know, and really it, it's been happening for a while, but again, Kaepernick kind of was, you know, you started to see more of that after that. Um, you definitely, you know, I, I obviously the key, there was there was journalism activism prior to that point. There were, you know, there were always political events or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, I think you also get in that sticky situation of of describing, like the big thing is, oh, I don't want politics in my sports. I, I think that, and the, the biggest issue you have there is that there, you know, politics and sports have been linked forever for time immemorial. you know i mean you can go back i mean the olympics are a political event um playing the anthem before a sporting event is a political is a political choice uh it's been going you know it, it was introduced during i think world war ii um it's this is not something that's happened forever and so i i think that i get why i get why people don't want it Like, I get why people don't want to be, you know, they view it as a distraction. They're like, I just want to escape when I go, when I watch my sports. But, you know, I think we can all agree that sports has been connected to politics, whether it be, you know, I know we'll talk about union stuff when you talk about labor rights, uh, when you talk about racial issues, uh, when you talk about any of it, it's always been linked. And so it's, it seemed inevitable. I think now with social media, allowing people to build their more personal brand, you're able to do that more like if i you know in the 90s if i worked for espn it was probably not very easy for me to express myself other than like you know yelling out my catchphrases um you there weren't you know if there wasn't that those shows like what was it you know michael was it michael smith and Jamel hill had a show um yeah His i think or, and- or, or or when bomani's had shows like that all is post, you know, it feels like is, is more after social media allowed people to become more individuals and express themselves individually. And obviously, you know, your ESPNs of the world still kind of try and crack down on that from a social media perspective, but you can only stop so much. And so that's, I think that's been the big thing is the development of social media has allowed people's personalities to shine forth a little bit more. And these are things that I don't think these are people that are, you know, I mean, there are people that that speak about political issues for show and to like really boost their personal brand. But I think a lot of folks are doing it because this is what they actually believe. And this, you know, they now have that opportunity to express that.
0: Right. We translate that to other forms of media. You know, you have the left and the right, right. You have your Fox news, your, what oan or whatever it is and newsmax and then you know your msnbc like everything like where do you get the straight news from right it's almost like because of the rise in these voices and the personalities and the way that people have gravitated towards it now you've had this more divisive what you'd call news but really is just news magazine opinion type stuff and i think you know is sports going down that route where everyone needs a perspective and it's not just x's and o's because there's such a saturation of information out there
2: you know I- I wonder about that because of the fact that, you know, we're, we're obviously very active on, on social media and particularly Twitter. And Twitter is very much an echo chamber for whichever side of the, of the aisle you're on. And it's also a very small echo chamber, you know, it's X percent, it's a certain type of demographic. And so I wonder how much, like you see, there are plenty of athletes that don't say anything about anything. You know, they're happy to, I I mean, Tom Brady can spout cliches until the end of time and, and, You know he'll get he'll get some crap for it, but people will kind of, you know he's still. He
0: just wants to break somebody's balls, like
2: exactly. I
0: mean, it's Aaron Rodgers or Gronk's, like he's he's a ballbuster.
2: Yeah, I think getting him away from Belichick has been fantastic. (laughs) But you know, I don't know. I I I really think that it's uh, it's something that people there's there are like I said there are plenty of athletes that do not express a a social opinion and nobody says anything obviously the more high profile you are that's where it comes down to is who the high profile athletes and who has chosen to speak on that and then you're expected to have an opinion on everything and obviously we can go into forever about LeBron and what he speaks about and what he clearly makes mistakes or you know gets messy in um but again it just comes down to who's more high profile
0: yeah I think the issue with LeBron was always sort of the hypocrisy in China and and Hong Kong and and like those issues are such a God, it's such a hot topic. And yeah, like I think, you know, you had the the hypocritical issue is that like you fight for one thing and then turn a blind eye to something when it comes to the paycheck and it just snowballs on. Right. But obviously when you're the face of the league and the name of the league that happens, you mentioned the, uh, the, the national anthem. Let's take it back to Texas. Like, you know, I was having this conversation the other day about like, Governor Abbott or isn't he like trying to pass a bill, Kyle, like, you know, that you have to play the National Anthem before these sporting events?
1: I, I'm sure he's got that and 50 other things that are, that are yeah, ahead of the whole, like, fix, fixing our power grid. Yeah, that may, that may be more of a DeSantis thing. We just, <laughs> fin- we just, just finished our session. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we just finished our session and, and got all the, the guns and abortion we possibly could uh, <laughs> uh, on the docket and nothing about, you know, keeping the lights on. So, uh, but but totally sounds like some Texas shit. I mean, well, totally. All right, dude. Yeah, you
0: know, get get down that rabbit hole too. But it's it's one of those guys brought it up because I'm having this conversation the other day. Like that, like that is. It may C-C-P- be Texas just that is C-C-P stuff Texas right there. the Cuban thing
1: would have been yeah would have been who would have triggered it right so I yeah
0: um, right that seems like the least American thing that you can do by forcing the public the
1: government forcing
0: the public to recite an
1: allegiance <laughs> but. but, but, uh, but uh, at the same time like let's look at it against the backdrop of like what we've made it like the the creature of our own making so if you spend years investing millions in the theater of the military in front of football games and create this like ex- this this pavlovian tie between the two well yeah then then all of a sudden it becomes really symbolically important whether or not it is it, you know would it would it really like diminish the value of america if we stripped out some of the upfront <laughs> No, no. In the long run, nobody would give a shit. Like it it, it really does – would not matter at all. But it is absolutely symbolically a, a perfect battleground. Like it is made for media <laughs> arguments over – Just the most trivial of everyone's taking a dump or getting a beer when this is on the screen anyways. But somehow let's all argue over it. Well, Kyle,
0: don't don't try to pass this off on Florida, man, because I'm reading a a May article right here that says Texas House votes to yank state funding from sports teams that don't play the national anthem at games. Mm -hmm. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick named the bill one of his legislative priorities after Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, stopped playing the anthem before home games. So Texas pride, man.
1: Uh, It's, yeah. I mean, and and these, you know, these are always fun games of chicken to watch because, you know, ultimately, you know, nobody really wants to take each other on in these things. And it's, you know, uh, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, don't get me started in Texas. People are lining up for 2024
2: and they got to get as far right as they can.
0: Yeah. End. Yeah. Conversely. Well, no, you got an incumbent. I don't know. I, well, who
1: knows? Yeah. That's a whole. who, knows, yeah. who Oh, knows? no. I, I, yeah. Politically, I think people. Yeah, there's that's the that's part of it is that there's a lot of people that are afraid, afraid of these things being too symbolically far left, even if they're meaningless gestures in the hearts of like 80 percent of America that no one cares. Right. Um, we've we've made them such. I mean, let's. I
0: mean, yeah. you think about the, you know, the Democrat primary. I mean, like Kamala was the, or you know, Vice President was the law and order, right? Uh, you know, criticism for her stuff out there barely cracked five percent, right? And now it's like, oh, we love her. Well, you didn't love her in the primary, right? And you basically reelect the. Never mind. I'm not gonna go there. But yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. end up what you end up with on both sides because of this nonsense here.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, you, you, can, you can draw some direct ties between getting so upset over some of the, like like I was saying, the sort of disruption of the ceremony of sport more than the thing that it's actually talking about that everybody's like, oh yeah, no, no argument. Mental health's totally fucked up. But how dare she na- deprive us her playing on clay at this moment when she would, let's face it, bring really good ratings. Like who did she really fuck over? The very media who then has to cover her dropping out of this. Like, conflict of interest yeah of course there is like of course like all they can do is like oh man we've got to try to recoup some of the air time that we were hoping to get so let's just talk about her for a week in it, it, like it's part of why Tebow was on the air so much it was just like well he we had to fill the time the Tebow demands somehow so we just had to talk about him because he wasn't actually doing anything to to merit airtime proper airtime. What was
0: your take on covering Tebow as as the editorial uh, the NFL editorial guy over SP nation Was it was Tebow good for for clicks?
2: Tebow, hey, is, still Tebow is still good for clicks. Um, still, yeah, it's it's <laughs> like yeah, I I mean, yeah, he he people still like people are sucked in by that, and I will never understand it, but. People love their Tebow, and so like you know what what was the most recent thing that happened? He uh, well, he's
0: trying out for tight end with the Jets. Yeah,
2: tight end that. stuff like that blew up. Like people are addicted to Tebow, and I, it's for for a mediocre player who was like who was a phenomenal college athlete who should have just you know if he had just retired after like if he'd never gone to the NFL, like he would still be a legend. And,
0: yeah. and But in reality, like he he'd is, be on ESPN till he died, you know, yeah. just commentating.
2: Yeah. Instead, he decides he wants to be a tight end. He wants to play baseball. He wants to do whatever. I, he's good for Yeah, playing.
1: if he would have never played, he would have been credited with like 10 Super Bowls. There would have been like a Tim Tebow footsteps kind of meme that would have just gone on all the time. Like people that, like the legend. The and, and, and If God forbid, and I by no means wish this on him and his family, if he had died in some sort of crash, like he would have maybe become the greatest folk legend in oh. the history of American sports. Like they would have
2: renamed the Mandela effect, the Tebow effect.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would just, just... <laughs> Yeah. Again, wishing no harm on Tim Tebow seems like an excellent gentleman and a uh, pillar of the community.
0: Look, man, you, when you go start circumcising kids in third world countries, you, then you can talk shit about Tebow. <laughs> <laughs> it, <it's> <laughs> <a> <laughs> I never thought that would work into the podcast today, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let, yeah, let's uh, let's stick with some politics here. Uh, let's talk about Vox Union. Um so, so Dave, the the unapologetically progressive guy, right? Um, you know, he's, he's got see his icons and his his avatars with with uh, with Senator Warren, um, but you know, you do kind of work in a corporate environment. Um, you know, you do have overlords to be answer to and 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 advertisers and such. But uh, on the unionization side, um, you know, we saw what happened with uh, with Gawker and and when they tried to come up. Um, in between all this, you have like the gig, gig workers bill out in California. Um, how did this come about? How was it received internally? I'm sure you bumped into, you know, Bankoff every day uh, in the office there. Um, yeah. Tell us about sort of uh, how it came to fruition.
2: Yeah. So what I think we, uh, it was 2017, I think we, we started to, the unionization process. Some folks came, came to me that had already started talking about it. Loot me into it, and I was I was fully in 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 support of it. Now, for some context, uh, I am no longer in the union in my current position, but was part of the um, organizing committee. And then once we once we got recognition and started negotiating, I was part of the bargaining committee to uh, to negotiate our contract um, that we signed in like June of 2019. Um, but yeah, no, we, you know, when we 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 started talking about it, obviously it was, you know, hush hush. We didn't want, you know, we didn't want word to get out to, to management that we were talking about unionizing. But there had been, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons, especially at, at a media company, that you start, you know, that you start looking at unionization. Um, I think with Vox, you know, we had started as this small disruptor, and we were turning into the the, the corporate giant. Um, obviously, we're, you know, we're no ESPN or NBC, but we, you know, we were getting big. Uh, we had launched The Verge, Polygon. We bought Curve, Eater, and Racked. We were really, you know, we were building out. Um, there had been some issues around payroll, like a payroll change that they had to make um, earlier in the year. That I think did, you know, it, it, it impacted people in terms of like the timing of paychecks. And there was nothing we could do about it. It just happened. And that, you know, every, you know, they Vox offered things to make us whole and all that, but it was also like we had no say. And so I think that was one of several reasons that people were just like, you know what, we, we need to unionize. We need, we need to have more state. We need it, the proverbial seat at the table. So we started talking amongst ourselves and talking with, uh, with a rep from the WGAE, the Writers Guild. And I think, you know, by the fall we, we went public you know, we, had, we, we went through card check. Uh, for those that don't know, you basically get people to sign saying I want to be part of the union and I, I, I authorize Writers Guild to represent us. We had, you know, of people sign. um, And then we, you know, we turned that over and and basically went to box management. We're like, Hey, we want to unionize. We've gotten all these signatures. Let's go. Um, You know, obviously they were thrown off by it. They, they were not super pleased that we're unionizing, which any company is going to do that. And so, you know, we, we kind of had, we had a lengthy back and forth that involved negotiations over getting recognition because basically once we presented that to them, they could voluntarily recognize us and just say, okay, fine, you're the union, now let's start. Or as you've seen in other companies, they could push for an election, um, an election through the National Labor Relations Board where you were required, every, you know, you mail out a ballot, everybody has to submit their ballots. Um, the you know, Management will say, oh, we just want everybody to have their voice. We want everybody's opinion to be heard. Well, that's what card check was. And I think that's something that the pro-labor side will always respond with is like, they have said that. They have said that they want to be involved. That's what this is. Um, eventually Vox came around and we negotiated who was going to be, you know, what positions would be in and what positions would be out of the union. And you know, eventually we got to the point by the end of the year where Vox finally accepted it and we, you know, we were ready to start negotiating. Um, that's when you move into, you know, I think in March or April of 2018, we started negotiating and we finished in June of 2019. Um, negotiating every, you know, it's, you know, negotiate terms and conditions of employment. So it was everything from, uh, salaries to intellectual property rights. Um, what if somebody wants to write a book who owns what rights? Um, and, you know, we didn't, you know, we, we eventually came to an agreement. Basically we would have the same health insurance as the rest of the company. And if, if health insurance, health insurance was improved for people outside the unit, they would improve it for us. Um, but I think the big thing that I, the, the, the big takeaway was that the company eventually came around, you know, the, the negotiations got contentious times. Um, obviously, you know, I'd see Jim around the office. I think we maintained a good relationship and I think that's what helped us get through it. Like there were tough times, there were moments where people were upset or not happy with something we did. I think that last week of negotiations, we went on strike for a day and we're just like, we're not working today. And um, through the grapevine heard that management thought we were being melodramatic um, and that kind of thing, which, you know, but a day later we, we, you know, we had, you know, two days later we had a deal, um, clearly it helped. And so I think it was interesting, especially for those of us that have been around forever. You know, a lot of us had been around since, since Jim first started, you know, we started our blogs, we were small, like I said, we were the small disruptor and relationships existed that had existed well prior to this. Um, uh, but then we also had a lot of people in the union that did not have their relationships. And so we kind of had to work to make sure it's like, we can have the, I can have these conversations with Jim, or I can have these conversations with whomever in management. Other people are not that comfortable with it. And so you kind of have to make sure that you're not like making sure that we're, we are a group, we are not individuals, we are working together. And so I think that was something that for those of us that have been around a little longer, it was easy to forget that, you know what, there's a lot of people that don't have this ease of, of, of a relationship where they can just go into the CEOs office and just talk to them. And so we kind of had to keep that in mind as we were figuring everything out. But you know, at the end of the day, we were able to get the deal done. Um, I think, it, you know, it sounds cliche, but it made us stronger as a company. I think having a contract in place, especially for a media company in this in this world now where everybody's talking about, you know, mergers and going public, and I have no idea if that will happen with Vox. Um, it's seen, you know, now that Buzz, I think it was BuzzFeed is going public with their SPAC, um, that's always a possibility, but, you know, who knows? Um, but I think having a contract in place where we know, you know, there's stability now. Or there, there is more stability than there was before, and so I think that helps. Uh, how much
1: you know in these conversations? Uh, I'm curious. You know, uh, there's there's stability and and some of the practical realities of you know being able to have a quality of life and a job. And then there's also kind of a notion of seat at the table, which is often you know sometimes uh, can be the like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll just start by getting paid a decent wage. But but I, I I'm curious in your your position exactly what you just alluded to. You're at a company that is who knows what its future looks like. And part of that is you showing up and doing great work and all that. But but along the way, what the company becomes, how much do you feel before those conversations now empowered in shaping that future of the company? Is it just through your day-to-day work product? Or do you guys feel like you have a voice in how the company may evolve? Right, Because it's obviously, a, a, you said it, changing landscape and people leaning further into subscriptions, different media ways to package and and sell media. How, how, how do you, how does that play out?
2: Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that, that, that approach that. Um, the first is, and I'll be, I'll be blunt. We call it the barstool effect um, where, when it comes to like things like when they want to, you know, uh, so, you know, syndicate content elsewhere and stuff like that. Um, I don't remember the exact specifics, but like, you know, basically we're like, we don't want to be associated with barstool um, and management needs to know that um that's just that's just how we felt about it and so like there are ways that we you know that we at least have either at the very least notification about it um you know there are certain things where they can tell you know there are things they don't have to tell us there are things that they do at least have to tell us and then there are things that we have to bargain for so like for that latter instance you know last year was a tough year for for everybody in the industry we had layoffs everybody had layoffs and so um when they when we had layoffs Anybody that was in the you know in our bargaining unit, um, they had to negotiate uh, severance. Um, the company had to negotiate with us like a severance package, and um, I think that we've done a good job in terms of. I think that's important, you know, especially in in this industry that is so in, unstable. Um, being able to say, okay, you know what, you can yes, you know, we can't tell you like you they have the undisputed right to lay people off for economic reasons. But they have to negotiate the kind of deal that people are going to get when they get paid off. And that gives us. What, what, what,
0: what? That was going to be my question. Like, what constituted, you know, eligibility as a union member via? Look, we all came up as bloggers, right? So, like, there, you know, I don't know. SB Nation sometimes had a dozen different writers on the website. Like, did you need to submit a certain amount? You know, how, how do you actually qualify as somebody that? you know is entitled to these benefits or if you're just a random contributor to a website
2: so the difference is um there's full-time employees part-time employees and then contractors um legally contract like contractors are not part of the union and that is a like there was there there was definitely a lot of um angst over that and a lot of discussion because there were certain there were definitely contractors that spoke out as they they should have that they were not happy with that they were not allowed to be part of the union There was was quite literally nothing we could do about it because legally the company does not have to include them. The company could choose to, but they can say, we're, you know, contractors are not allowed and there's nothing we can do about it. That's, there's Supreme Court precedent that has established that contractors are not employees. Um, And that gets into the whole gig thing, which is a whole other can of worms. But you have, say,
0: what, 256 team sites or whatever that that number was, right? So so if I'm the editor-in-chief of the A's site, Right, where do I where do I land? Like, depends if you're
2: a contractor or not. Yeah, a lot. Most most. But
0: how many of them would you say like of the two hundred and fifty were say employees of? Very few. Yeah, most
2: of the team sites were run by contractors. Right. right. Um, And so for like for instance like we have probably now it's it's changing. They're definitely working to hire more into part time or full time roles, but like we probably have 11 or 12 of our NFL sites run by full-time employees. And so they fall under that, uh, under that. Um, we have part-timers who, you know, work 20, 30 hours a week. They're part of the union. Anybody that is, that is paid as a part-time employee, that's classified as an employee. So a part-time employee or a full-time employee is part of the, is part of the union. Um, if then there are, then you get into things like, are they a supervisor? Are they a manager? Those folks are not. Um, you can negotiate like when, um, when prior to, Docker exploding and and you know and everything falling apart. Like I believe that like the editor-in-chief of Deadspin was part of the union. Um, but they negotiated that. Like the editor-in-chief of Espionation is not part of what is not part of the union. The editor-in-chief of The Verge is not part of the union. That can be negotiated. The company does not have to allow it, but some are more inclined to just depending on the specific context. And so you get into a ton of legal nuance around what constitutes a supervisor what constitutes a manager because the idea the idea is that if you're a a supervisor or a manager theoretically you are getting access to more um, confidential information more sensitive information that would help the union and there's this thought of are you you know do you are you there to represent the company or are you there as an employee and if you're there representing the company there is there's an inherent conflict of interest that can come up and so, so that's where um like, again, similar similar to the contractor stuff, there's a ton of Supreme Court precedent. A lot of it revolving revolving around nurses when it comes to supervisors and what's considered a supervisor and what's considered an employee.
0: You know, when we were at BWB, I want to say six, right? Uh, one of our panelists told Chris Cluey that he's a replaceable commodity. Like, th- that was the exact words. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel... Like where does that land with, we talked about the shifting media landscape and what's going to happen and we're not sure and the consolidation and SPACs, et cetera, like everything, right? Seems like the opportunities are shrinking. Um, the pool of talent isn't. Um, you know, what kind of prevented you from saying, or, or, or the company from saying, we don't really need you?
2: <laughs> you mean to, to full-time employees? Yeah. Yeah, once you unionize, you have protections, um there i don't I, I i i could go on forever about it but i'm
0: saying like the cooperation of of say the company to to just kind of even go along with the negotiation side it seems to be a testament to them because i wouldn't think there was a a, a talent shortage
2: yeah i think they i will give i will give the, the company credit for being willing to to come to the table like i said you know sometimes it was like pulling teeth but yeah. that's you know, when it come, when it comes to money Um, even the most progressive organizations, when it comes to the bottom line, become a little more conservative.
0: Um, which I feel like that was the case. Like this is, I I feel Jim's a progressive guy. I feel like it's always been a progressive company. Um, but I do remember, and maybe it was dead spin. It's all kind of blurry where they're like, look here, here, like here are the numbers. Here's the reality. Like there is a business and we do have business obligations that we have to meet. So, you know. Again, not not from the outside. Like I guess it's that dialogue that you spoke about about being able to at least have that and and pop in um, was was probably beneficial to everyone involved.
2: Yeah, and I think I mean I I can only speak for what I think, but I feel like that you know they had to have gained more respect for us for you know how we went about it. We were you know I feel like we were entirely professional. I mean, you know, obviously there's moments where you kind of get a little heated and you say things you maybe shouldn't have said, but like I think for the most part. We, you know, both sides show that they can be professional about this, um, get deals, and you, you know, you can look at all the media deals. I know when um, when BuzzFeed first unionized, like Jonah Peretti was famously made a comment. You know, I'm supportive of the unions, just not here, and that's, you know, it's like, okay, that's the hypocrisy that I that I will not stand for, and so, you know, I think there is part of the issue is that you've got, you know, you've got these, uh, you have um, management side lawyers, and there's a playbook um, no matter where you go, where they're going to say the same things, you're going to have these private, you know, you're going to have your meetings with small groups to talk about, you know, where the management tells you why they don't necessarily need a union. It's going to happen everywhere. Uh, they're going to talk about how, oh, the union, you know, we don't want a third party coming between us, even though the employees are the union. Like, yes, the writers guild represents us, but we are the union you're working, you know, to, with us directly, but there's just, you know, there's all these cliches that come out of the, the, the management playbook. And that's, that's fine. That's, you know, that's why they pay these lawyers a lot of money to to negotiate these things. But I think with, with Vox, they came around much faster than we've seen other, other companies come around. They were, you know, we've, we've seen stories of management refute, you know, like Mm -hmm. showing up and having nothing and just being like, you know, we're not going to negotiate right now, or this is our last offer. And we didn't have that with Vox. And so Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm willing to, you know, I respect them more because they were willing to go through this process. They were willing to, Come towards the center, and you know, like, it, kind of when we were talking about the race issues. When it comes to having messy conversations, when you unionize, you're going to have messy conversations, but you need that to make sure that every, you know, that you protect yourself. Because, you know, and I, I'm sure you've seen this with media companies. We always hear in this dot com age of, oh, we're a family, and oh, we're, you know, we're here to, to to work together, and you know, all that. We're not a family when I ask for a raise. Right. So I think that you know we need to establish right off the bat. It's like this is not personal. This is business. And we need to know that we, you know, we have to look out for ourselves because when, you know, when push comes to shove, you're going to look out for the company's bottom line, which is your job. You have fiduciary duty to shareholders, to whatever, but that means we're going to look out for ourselves too.
0: Fasilo dropping the uh, godfather references here. (laughs)
2: This
0: is business, business, Michael. Um, Talk about messy conversation. You you talked about the, the barstool effect, but if we look at like kind of the trajectory of the online like landscape, You know, in our days that, you know, the dead spins being the big, the big wigs and, you know, the Yahoo blogs and, you know, SB Nation and and Bleacher, we talked on previous shows about sort of the arms race that we called it between the two of you. And, you know, then Vice came out of nowhere and, you know, hey, they're, they're taking over everything. And now that that's not the case either, but you know it seems like Barstool's continuing the, the upward trajectory uh, while a lot of other ones are, are sort of struggling and, um, you know, putting a business hat on, like, where, where does that, you know, personal things aside, like, where, what do you see kind of next? Like, uh, do they keep, do they keep that trajectory? Does somebody else come and disrupt it? Uh, you know, what's on the horizon for, for, you know, the online sports space?
2: Well, uh, given my current role, um, it's clearly sports betting.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well,
2: yeah, for those yeah, of us. We,
0: man, we haven't, we're, we're running out of time. We haven't even scratched the surface with that. And, and we,
2: we could talk for a day on that. But yeah, so um, for those that are listening, I, I manage um, Fox Media's partnership uh, with, with DraftKings uh, from a editorial perspective. Uh, at DraftKings Nation, I run all the content there. And so, um, I've, you know, Barstool linked up with Penn National. Uh, Penn National Gaming, and they've launched, you know, the the Penn Sports book. We're seeing SI doing the same thing with 888 Holdings. Um, I, I I don't feel super confident that it's going to work out great for SI and, and 888 Holdings. They don't have that, you know, this is not the SI of 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whereas Barstool has that, you know, committed group of people that, that love the brand. Um, but I don't know, it's interesting with Barstool, you know, they, Dave, Courtney was crowing, after Michigan opened and they were, you know, they were doing really well. They were number three, but they were doing it with very little. You know, they weren't spending money on marketing because they've got this committed base, and that's that's where they're going to build from. But if you look at their numbers in every state, they've gone down since then. Um, from a pure, again, purely from a business perspective, you've got people that aren't necessarily going to be as loyal if you're not giving them a promotion bonus. If you're not spending money on it, you see DraftKings and FanDuel spending money left and right uh, to, to bring in customers and they, they, they drafting the fans will enter this.
0: They always have.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they, I mean, the reason that they're number one and number two in basically every state is because they had that, um, DFS daily fantasy, uh, user base. Um, you've got a lot of other places moving in there, you know, the MGMs and the winds of the world that do not have that, that user base. Um, and that's where Barstool, that's why Barstool, I think they're still third in Michigan is that they have that, you know, that strong base of customers, but, I don't think from the sports betting perspective that that's going to be a long, like, I don't think they're ever going to be more than third. And they they could very well drop from there, depending on what else happens.
0: This it's kind of reminds me of the new general commercials where, uh, <laughs> where they're like, oh, well, you, you told me the general. And I just kind of dismissed that. But no, it really is credible. Like, I kind of feel like if I'm going with insurance, I'm going with somebody that I, that I know and trust, right? <laughs> and like, I don't know, it almost feels like Barstool like on the betting side could feel like the general of a uh, betting. Does that make sense? Do you see where I'm going with that? It's like, are you have these big legacy uh, companies that you know are serious? And then this other one kind of comes in, you know, hey,
1: uh, a sports book in Reno, Nevada can still make a lot of money, you know? So I, I think there's plenty <laughs> of room to to be a second tier Play, or oh, plenty yeah. of different room for different brands, different games. I think it'll be, it, it is, I think the most interesting part to me between that and some of the commerce side, which we can all remember that that branded commerce stretch that, you know, BuzzFeeds of the world, we're all going to change the world with tasty and different like direct to consumer brands and products and target yeah, you know, it's been interesting to see them explore different directions. It is it is hard to, you know, I think you look at on the other end of the spectrum something like the Athletic that has gone with a very, you know, we're going to we're going to approach it with subscription, no ads, as much legitimacy as we can borrow from legacy media. You know, I I think there's there's going to be a continued sort of proliferation. Like I think you know, Don, we've talked about it before, but I think we're headed into a new era and I I think in some cases sports betting will sports betting is going to do very well, but but I really think thought you're going
0: to well, I really I, thought I you're going to tie this back to Substacks, aren't you?
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to I'm not because I but but what I think it's going what I think is exciting to me if if it all comes full circle is that can it, it, c- could sports betting enable interesting experimentation around media if if we just use it to keep doing the same things and just try to like grow sports betting as fast as possible, which I have my moral quandaries about the responsible growth of sports betting in America and what it's done in places like Australia that we have to be mindful of. But if we can use it in the same way that people like fanatics, and Wade Tonkin and his affiliate marketing helped us all make a bit of money on our blogs in the early days, or Diana and, and Pete and Yard Barker and all the guys, You know, if this is the next thing that means that somebody out there, some new creators can come up with new ways to cover sports and sports betting can pick up some of that tab because they're going to keep spending money to acquire. Uh, I, that's my hope is not, let's, let's just make all media about advanced analytics on betting.
2: I... I think you're going to see that eventually. I think, you know, in these, in these early days, you're still, you're going with what works. Um, SEO is still a big thing. Um, but you're, you know, you're, like you said, there's, there's all this money in it and they're starting to finance media companies that ideally will put them in a position to try new things. And um, you know, it's interesting, like DraftKings just, again, I, I know them the best given the relationship, but like, you're Seeing them get involved in like major league eating, um, uh, which I know Don has has his own, we, we can talk about that later, <laughs> but um, you know, or like there's like a professional cornhole league, um, there's like an ultimate
0: talk about not taking care of your talent, so but we won't, we won't go there. Right?
2: I, 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 I'm on, you know, I, as a labor person, I am on your side on this, Don, but no, but I, you know, I think. You're seeing them try new things. You're seeing a lot of like they're doing all they do um, a lot of free pools. And this was a big thing that they really dove into last year during the pandemic when there were no sports. It's like we're going to have a free pool around The Bachelor and we're going to just do all these things where we can come up with new ideas of, of things to cover. And suddenly everything is sports, you know, which I guess means that nothing is sports or something like that. But, you know, I think you can get creative with stuff. And you're going to see a lot of these partnerships growing and growing. I mean, I'm, I think at some point you'll see like, you know, like Peyton and Cooper Manning doing their capital and college bowl show at some point that's going to be sponsored by, by a sports book. It feels like, um, I don't know. Did you see the, the news today? That Drew Brees is now, uh, the main spokesperson for points bet. Um, and I think the goal is because points bet has a huge deal with NBC and, you know, eventually you're going to start hearing Drew Brees dropping lines on, uh, <laughs> during, uh, Notre Dame games.
0: There we go. It's all changed. The bastardization. I, I got a jam, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, on that fooch. note, while while, uh, while we depart with Kyle and, and we make our exit, but let's wrap it up. We'd like to say, you know, give us give us one good memory from uh, your your blogs with balls experiences.
2: Honestly, it was meeting all these people that now I interact with regularly on Twitter. I met, you know, Maggie. I, you know, I saw Maggie on Twitter, but never really met her. We got a chance to have lunch with her and Aaron chats and you know a group of folks and. Um, meeting Tim Ryan and that whole crew of folks. I, that, that's,
0: <laughs> hey, I think it, we're 26 episodes in and we got Somebody dropped Tim Ryan. That wasn't uh, Jamie Hamill who was, you know, the sports hernia with him. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, Jamie, like Jamie, all that, like they're just folks that I met that like seeing how people like meeting them then and now seeing how people have evolved. It's just that more than anything has just been fascinating see. because what it's been nine years since, since that Toronto one eight or nine years. Yeah. And I like the idea that there was a baseline and now we just, as blogging has evolved, as the media has evolved, seeing how these folks have evolved, um, especially the independent folks that are trying new things. I know Maggie's now with, uh, with ballet sports and doing a lot of stuff around the Olympics, which is great because obviously... Nobody knows the Olympics like Maggie.
0: That's her thing, yeah. Yeah,
2: and so like I just well, oh,
0: hey, you'll have to hear the story about um, you know uh, Matram basically stealing her you know fourth place medal name, but she told that <laughs> one. That was pretty. Good. <laughs> and, and Diana last week, you know, she brought up, hey, it's great to see what you guys are doing, and you know what everybody's kind of come into uh, on their own. And she's like, you know, some guys are now accountants, but you know, other guys are, have a TV show on, you know, NBA TV. So it's like everything in between. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed, I, I've enjoyed like the road since then kind of, you know, meeting these folks and knowing yeah. them and now being able to look back and be like, wow, that person is still the exact same person or, Oh, that look how this person has changed and grown.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully changed for the better and grow. That's right. <laughs> um, but Fuch, hey, hey, man! Thank you for for your involvement, your friendship, as we like to say to everyone, because you truly are like you just alluded to. I mean, you know, it's it's great to still be talking to you after nine plus years because you know we predated that event. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk next time a little bit more about about DK Nation because uh, certainly a lot there. I think we need to have a whole show on on that. Uh, you know, bring a couple of different voices
2: in. I think sports betting is just. I mean, whether whether people like it or not, and I totally get why there are people that are squeamish about it. Um, but I think that it, it is the future, and so like it's something that asks me. It's interesting because sports betting is not, and I won't get too far down the rabbit hole. But like from a money making perspective, like it's peanuts. Um, the actual like I think New Jersey released their numbers, and like yeah. penny slots made like thirty times what you know, in terms of hand, in terms of revenue. And so like it's it's really, it, but it gets people indoors. It gets people sitting there watching sports, and then oh, I'm gonna go play the penny slot. So. But it's interesting. It's, it's
0: going to change. It's going to change me. Yeah. And well, certainly with Jersey and I can speak to this, but I won't. But, you know, the year of last year, having things like this and different options, you know, kept many industries and many jobs like afloat uh, with what they've had to deal with. But again, that could be a whole conversation in itself. So let's wrap it up. That's David Fusillo, Fucillo, 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 whatever you want to say. Fuch. We call him Fooch. <laughs> For Kyle Bunch, I'm Don Pobia. it has been the OGs. We'll see you soon.